recording of this episode was incredibly long, so we will be splitting it into multiple parts. This part discusses the first two episodes of Sabrina, focusing largely on the cinematography and the characters of Hilda, Zelda, Ambrose, and Salem. Hello again, and welcome to the second episode of Devil's Advocate Reviews. I'm Katie. And I'm Michelle. We are so glad to have you back this week. We are doing our first actual show this week, which is pretty exciting. And uh, we are starting with The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, episodes one and two. But before we get into that, Katie, how was your week? You know, my week was pretty good. It was really busy. Um, I worked a lot. Uh, I had a really good weekend. I went to the Jonas Brothers concert uh, at Jones Beach Theater, which was amazing. Who'd you go with? I actually went by myself. Nice. Um, I met up with, I, I had a lot of friends from a lot of different friend groups going, um, but we none of us had seats together. So mm-hmm. we all tailgated beforehand, just kind of hung out, chatted, and a lot of them were people who like didn't know each other. Um, so, you know, they got to meet and I have a concert buddy who I met at a concert and I literally only see her at concerts. So we text each other anytime we buy concert tickets and we're like, hey, are you going to this? Cool, I'll see you there. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. So we, I got to see her, and um, and then we went to the show, and then we just, and then I hung out in the parking lot for a while afterwards because the exiting the parking lot situation was a little terrifying. Yeah, especially if you're by yourself, I can get that. So good on you for staying safe and having a good time. Yes, and it was outdoors, so it was a good concert, and it's the Joe, it's the Joe Bros. I can't, can't go wrong. And no. Kevin was the hottest one. I can't believe it. I can't believe Kevin has turned into the hottest Jonas brother. I still have no clue who's who, and the only song I know by them is Watermelon Sugar. That's not a Jonas brother song. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Harry Styles song. All right. And there we have it, folks. All right. On that note, Michelle, how was your week? My week, uh, my week was pretty good. Not musically inclined like yours. Um, <laughs> let's see, well, how was my week? Okay, so for those of you that are not aware, I recently signed on a new job offer out in New Mexico, which is pretty awesome, and I will be moving out there from New York. So that's kind of what my whole week is about. I know, it's sad because it's far from you. But, like, I'm going to be so close by White Sands. It's going to be, like, 20 minutes. I booked my moving service this week. Um, So that was big stuff. I actually got an entire moving service for less than the pod would have been. That, like, I would have had to load myself and it would have just met me there. By, like, a grand. By, like, a little over a grand. It was amazing. I know. I felt like I, like, got a steal. Um, I just want to know who was, who are you moving with? Like, are you moving by yourself or are you moving with like, cause you said you didn't need a pod and everything like that. Yeah. So I'm moving is just me. Essentially the way that I was planning on moving is there are these like little pods where you like fill it up with your shit and then it goes over to where you're going. You meet it there 
and you unpack your shit from the pod. So for me, that's pretty easy because then all I really have to transport is myself, my cat, and like a week's worth of clothing, right? I've done that before or like a similar thing before. It's been successful for me. But as I started looking into it, I found that there's a moving service where like a whole bunch of people will actually move the stuff for you, ship it there, and un load it for you so you're not the one hauling ass yeah i know for like less yeah thank hey, you if this company needs a sponsor you know we could definitely do like an this is great yo hit us i will uh, just pod, like pod actually because i really like the guy i'm working with his name is dylan he was a boss i was telling i told him i was shopping around and he like dropped the price for me by 500 and then he was like and if you find anybody that if that beats our price we'll match it and go by down 10 percent and I was like done my friend so and he did like because I did continue shopping around because I'm a broke bitch I'm not even so much a cheap bitch I'm just like really broke right now um no yeah literally nothing not a single dime to spend and he was the cheapest by uh, a long run so that was one of the things they are gold standard moving and storage i like dylan is the man so they just got some free to like the yeah. three people Shout that listen to, to us they got a free rep sponsorship thank you our friends who we sent this to and forced you to listen thank you go see them <laughs> yeah like much appreciated much appreciated yeah. So that was basically the vast majority of my week, and the rest of it I will save for you for what am I obsessed with. Oh, I'm excited now. Mm -hmm. All right, so with all of that, those were our weeks. What are you drinking this week, Katie? I am actually, I'm going to do a little ASMR for everybody Mm. because I got a, so it's called Apothic Red, and it's it's a red blend wine. And I'm a big red wine drinker. I mean, I know listeners can't see the bottle, but look at how pretty the bottle is. It has, like, all of these, like, red viney things around it. It's just, it's really nice. And it was, it was made in California, so I'm sure it's in other liquor stores around places. So Apothic Red is the wine. I highly recommend. Michelle, what are you drinking today? I just wanted to say before I jump into what I'm drinking, that looks like a perfect Spooktober red. I know. It's very Sabrina. There, I actually put that in one of my notes. There's so much red. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so for me this week, I need a little pick-me-up. I'm kind of tired because I've been doing a lot of the moving stuff and starting to pack. I am having a blend of cold brew... Tazo chai latte, Bailey's, oat milk, and a scoop of Ben and Jerry's Gimme More S'mores. Oh my god. Like a milkshake. That sounds delicious. Well, we're about to find out. This it was basically a concoction. I was like, I need caffeine and booze. What are we doing, friends? It's the beauty of like Kahlua. Oh my god, it's the best. You throw it in anything. Oh, yeah. I should invest in some Kahlua. I love Kahlua. Kahlua, a little, like, making a white Russian, like Kahlua with a little half and half. Uh, Oh. Throw a little vodka in it, make it a black Russian. Oh, so good. 
I'm all about that. I died on white Russians on my trip to the Dominican Republic because we did all inclusive and that's all I drank the entire time. I was just like, God. And that's like so much dairy that like that my stomach would not agree with that much. Like I can have like maybe two glasses and then my body is like, never mind. <laughs> I pretend I'm not lactose intolerant. I try to take a lactate pill. <laughs> I'm just like, nah, I'm fine. Can't drink milk, but I'll just have this cheese and it's fine. <laughs> That's like the mantra of anyone who's lactose intolerant. It's like I can't eat dairy, but I'm gonna eat cheese. Like <laughs> Yeah, like cheese isn't really dairy. <laughs> so let's get into the first two episodes of Sabrina. The summary for today's chapters are Chapter one, October Country. While Greendale readies for a Halloween eclipse, Sabrina faces a crucial decision, and Harvey makes an unexpected declaration. Chapter 2. The Dark Baptism. A legendary guest visits Spellman Mortuary, Ambrose explores a grim revelation, and Sabrina stuns the coven with a shocking announcement. So let's get into it. Alright, so the first episode, Chapter 1, October Country. I I have a lot of notes from the first episode because I was like, just get everything down. My first note that I wrote is that the comics are in the opening credits. Oh, yes. Yeah, they are. I did a little research and I looked into it a little bit just because I was curious if they just took it from the comics or like what they did. And it was like there's an artist that like recreated all the different versions of the comics and he put them into this like animation sequence that they put. And because a lot of them have like that darker feel to them and it's because he kind of recreated them but a lot of them are the original look of the Sabrina comics so I thought only the Sabrina that popped up on the screen in the back in the B like the Archie comics looking Sabrina I thought that was the only nod to the comics were there others that I missed were others because there were different versions of it's like you know how in um like the simpsons how like when they first drew the animation of the simpsons they looked very different than the way they look now in 2021 it was kind of like that where it was still the archie comic but she like her look kind of changed throughout the years and so all the different looks of sabrina were kind of you know how like there wasn't just one sabrina in the opening credits from what i have did and I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, someone correct me. Um, but it looked like those were all different versions of the Sabrina comics. And then the guy who drew them, I'm blanking on his name, I didn't write it down. There was like an interview where he said, like, he basically drew the, all the animation for that opening credit scene. Editing Michelle here. The artist for the credits was Robert Hack. So, yeah, I, I loved that. What are your opinions on the opening credits as someone who never read the comics and just kind of jumped into the show watching the credits I love it and I love the music like I thought that the music was like very well done and they're long credits too so I think that the way that like it highs and flows but like keeps the tension like the I'm also tone deaf like so if that doesn't sound anything like it forgive me but it definitely keeps the 
intensity throughout. You know, you tune out credits by the third episode. So rewatching it with knowing the show and like knowing where it goes, I re-looked at the credits again. I was like, oh, they hid so many little Easter eggs in there. Love that. Yeah, and I always try, and I tried to pay attention when the second episode started. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but just to see if they changed at all, but they didn't. Because certain shows, like I know uh, Once Upon a Time did this, and some other shows did it, where like at the end of the credits, like something different would happen and it would be related to that episode. So I kind of looked to see if they did that in this, but they didn't. Um, But I am hoping that these credits change don't tell me if they do or not because I I like when credits kind of change with the show like as the show grows the credits grow even though like this was all animation and it wasn't like pictures of the people I I enjoy when credits kind of shift as the show shifts I mean I like these credits so if they stay the way they are that's fine but that would be cool to see just how they change the animation if they do okay so the next I thought, well, no, like one of them is just like, I love her horror movie knowledge. Like, I love that, like, your first introduction to her is like, you hear her not only, like, it's kind of, I, I kind of like heard myself in the way that she talked because she was like, oh, yeah, well, like, this is why they changed it. You know, oh, fast moving zombies are to- totally like a different thing. And, you know, that's like, you know, it's cool. And one of my favorite shots is when they're watching the horror movie and, like, you can tell that there's something horrible and horrific going on on screen and she's just, like, watching, eating popcorn and, like, everyone's horrified around her. Yeah, and she's like, the biggest smile on her face. <laughs> right, right? Oh, my oh. gosh. I loved all, while we're, like, on the topic of like the horror movie knowledge and all of that stuff they made so many horror movie references in this episode in this first episode not as much in the second but in the first episode there were so many and I just want to point them out because it was like every time it happened I got so excited tell me more because you know I missed every single one of them I know you probably didn't catch any of these so the first one that I noticed was when um they're going back to Sabrina's house and Harvey's like chasing after her and he goes, they're coming to get you, Barbara. That's from The Night of the Living Dead, which is a very old zombie movie. It's a great movie. And then again in that beginning scene when she's like dancing on the stairs, that was kind of a nod to Beetlejuice, I think, because they have that whole scene at the end of the movie where she's like lifted up and she's like dancing and everything like that. It's really cool. The red dress that Sabrina wears with the lace on it. That is the same dress that the main character in Rose Rosemary's Baby wears. Like she wears the exact same dress in Rosemary's Baby. So I thought that was really cool. I know I'm blending the two episodes together because I kind of just put these all on a list. I, I think that's good because I, I like that the writers made nods to these like shows for the people that do know this stuff and like watch it. Cause I'm sitting here and I'm, I haven't seen a single movie that you've watched yet. I've heard of them secondhand and that's about it. But like, I love that they thought about it enough and like cared about their craft and the character. That's also part of the setting to me. That's part of the exposition and the setting. The first phrase that they have when you start out is like in the town of Greendale where every day feels like Halloween. By adding those little nods and references, they really hammer that point home. Yeah. In this little town, 
life imitates Halloween art. It imitates horror movie art. I love that. That, you know, that adds a layer to it. I thought it was awesome. And then there was one more that I feel like is a bit of a stretch, but it just, like, I laughed when I heard it was um, when Sabrina kills the bat and then the the aunt tells her to bury it in the pet cemetery. Pet cemetery is a Stephen King novel and a Stephen King movie. And that's, like, a great one. Points for me. I knew that it was a book. <laughs> You knew it was a reference. I did. I was like, oh, hold on. That's a Stephen King book, isn't it? Ding, ding, ding. Yes. So those that's all my horror movie nods that I found. So now I tried really, really hard not to compare it the whole time to the like comics or the sitcom because I know it's different and I know it's like a di- totally different plot. They're just the same characters, so I really tried not to. And something that I didn't realize, the people who created this show also created Riverdale. Mm-hmm. And they did the same thing in Riverdale where they took the Archie comics and they basically made it a really dark and twisty story. Mm-hmm. And I never really I only watched the first season of Riverdale, so I don't know that much about it, but I like that these creators kind of have that recurring theme i actually have watched riverdale not all the seasons i think yet but pretty far a little further than you i think i got into the third or fourth season and i got to it through this show and i really loved it they even do little nods kind of like that both of these shows are in the same universe so if you um, remember when the high school boys are walking with Sabrina and the Weird Sisters through the forest, they ask like, oh, where do your friends go to school, Riverdale? That's like a little nod to that. Yes, I did see. And I, I did write that down, that Riverdale is in the same universe. And I think that's really cool because there could have, I mean, I know the show, the show's over, right? Like yeah. they're not seasons so I know they didn't make a crossover but like they could have and that would have been really cool yo any of Sabrina characters could still pop in on Riverdale I feel yeah that's true I because Riverdale is still on I think yeah yeah okay every single rendition of Sabrina every single one Harvey is just the most precious little doe-eyed love-struck boy in every single rendition of Sabrina and this version, like, he did not disappoint. Oh, my God. Like, I think he is the most precious. Like, we need to protect Harvey Kinkle. <laughs> and I think this with every version because he's one of my favorite, my most favorite fictional characters. I mean, the Harvey in the sitcom is, like, a total dope. Um, oh, yeah. But you love him anyway. Yeah. Like, this one's at least somewhat intelligent and, like, has a general grasp on humanity and life, which is nice. You know, he's not just, like, a comic relief character, which I really appreciate. But just, he is so in love with Sabrina. And I just, like, I, 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 I we all need a Harvey. That's where our standards should be. Our standard, I mean, this might change. I don't know if he becomes a crappy boyfriend later in the show. But so far... Our standards should be that we look for a Harvey. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Jumping in here, I would wipe the floor with a Harvey rag if that's who I dated. So not all of us, and I'm certainly not looking for a Harvey, and I fucking know it. (laughs) You know what? That's valid. That's very valid. Not all Harveys can handle us. You got it. That's what it is. Not all Harveys can handle us, and I appreciate that. The 
two like long-term adult relationships I have had in my past were Harvey's and they loved me. My first boyfriend, one of my close friends compared him to a puppy dog that followed me around. My second boyfriend, my mother did not like this man, but even she said to me, she was like, he really loves you. And I wiped the floor with both of them. And it's sad. And unfortunately, it's just not, I need somebody that's going to take me down a peg or two. I, 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 I can understand that. You know what it is, is that we all deserve a Harvey, but not all Harveys deserve us. That's Tr- what I'm thinking. We all deserve that kind of unconditional love, truly unconditional yeah. love that he represents. And I think that that's possible with a partner that's still able to like give you a reality check. I think that that's yes. what you're connecting with, that love, that unconditional love. I'm just not connecting with the I'll just do anything for you, zero boundaries, love you. Yeah, and that's that just has to do with other people's love languages. You know, a a Harvey love language may not necessarily be a Michelle love language, and that's okay. And I I have a history of being in a relationship where we had very different love languages, and it turned into a very toxic relationship because we didn't know how to love each other the right way, and it got very messy. Um, So, you know, that's not always a healthy way to live either. Speaking of healthy, I'm pissed off at Sabrina... Because how the fuck do you know your entire life that on your 16th birthday you're going to leave your friends and you don't give them any kind of heads up? I mean, I know she didn't end up doing it, but, like, I can't, like, I don't understand how, like, when she was 10, she wasn't like, hey, guys, in six years I have to go to this boarding school because my parents told me to or something like that, just so that they're prepared. Like, if you know your whole life that when you turn 16 you have to go and, you know, be the devil's bitch – Like, how did she, how, how did she not, in the entire amount of time that she's been friends with these mortals, tell them, hey, by the way, when I turn 16, I gotta go somewhere else? This is a hypothesis of this character. So, it seems like the witchcraft and the mortal life are kept very segregated within her household. Even when Hilda tells Sabrina, like, your parents would be so proud of the young woman you're becoming. Zelda goes, the young witch. There's such a segregation in, like, language and stuff that if from a young child you're basically told you can never tell anybody the secret, period, end of story. And we also know that that's part of generational thing with the witches of Greendale. When Wardwell gets possessed, she talks about the witches being lynched and dying. And then when Sabrina tells Harvey, it's the first episode, right, that she tries to tell him, she says that this is basically how the witches hid themselves. So it's like such a profound family secret that her entire life she's been told you can never tell anybody this. These are the people that killed us, that hunted us, that genocided us, etc., etc., that she's living in this community of. And suddenly she turns around and she is 16. And let us all remember back to our teenage days, friends, and our underdeveloped frontal lobes, friends. <laughs> yes, And how scary it was to tell people secrets. Also, context, we're millennials. We 
I'm assuming kind of grew up in a society of like you're punished if you do something wrong. So and Mm -hmm. usually when you're keeping a secret, it's like for self-protection or you're worried about doing something or you're worried about something happening. Revealing that I can imagine being really scary as it gets closer and closer. She starts having doubts and it becomes this thing that she doesn't do because she doesn't actually want to go through with her baptism. Mm -hmm. She just first didn't do it because it was a secret and it was embarrassing and like weird and she didn't know how to go about it, what child would. And then it grew Mm -hmm. into this point of oppositional defiance for her, I think, too. As we saw, she was getting closer and closer. It felt like she was being dragged to that altar. Right. Well, she literally got her. She tried to run away and the, the trees like literally drag her back. I yes. thought, oh my God. Such beautiful scene work and just oh, world God. building. Yeah. Like the, the cinematography in that whole baptism scene was just so well done from the way they changed her dress to the way she was dragged. Oh my God. That was so well done. And I have such a comment on the way that they changed her dress too. If you notice her dress turns black as the rays of the blood moon hit it. So it would first hits the lace outer laying, which is like the flowers that turn black and then the underling. And that's why when she's told to disrobe and she takes her dress off underneath, her slip is still white. Her slip wouldn't have been exposed to the changing of the blood moon. To me, that's such a powerful signal because they say like, oh, they don't make girls wear black for their dark baptisms anymore. But in that moment when the blood moon was rising, and changing from white to blood that is the power of the dark lord coming to the universe really taking over her world really immersing her in it dipping her into that dark ink i love how visual it is and i love how symbolic it is in that moment it's just it's such a it's so well done so well done i 100 percent agree i think the way that they used the blood moon i think throughout the whole episode really throughout that whole episode at when all the kids came out and they saw it starting and you see it starting to come and then that's like her moment to just kind of like start running it was like I kind of liked that because it was like when you first see that blood moon in kind of a different way it was it was that first moment where she sees the blood mood and that then she separates from her mortal friends And it was like that kind of symbolism also I thought was really cool because as the blood moon became bigger, she got closer to the witch side of her life. And I thought that was a really cool symbol as well. Oh, I really like that. That's a good insight. Yeah, I really, I thought that was really cool. I thought that whole scene sold it for me. That dark baptism scene, I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm in, you know? (laughs) Yes! I was like, yes. all right, I, I like it this time around because I think I only watched like the first two episodes last time and I didn't even remember any of this happening. So I definitely did not pay attention the first time. Well, I am going to jump over to the Weird Sisters. One of the things that I truly love about the show is the way that I'm not sure if it's shot or edited in this sense, 
but essentially they commonly use this visual effect essentially where the center of the screen or the person one person that you're supposed to kind of identify with is in sharp focus and everything around them is kind of blurred and I love the way that they do this at first with the like very obviously at first with the weird sisters when they first show up to curse her because there's this one moment where you see Sabrina and she's the only thing in sharp relief and the three of them it feels like are floating in the background but it's very realistic almost like it's something that you could totally see yourself actually seeing if you were like a little dizzy and your blood sugar was like a little low and you were like a little mm -hmm. off I just love that additional world building situation where they even make your perceptions of this like sleepy Halloween bubbling dark undercurrent town more realistic more immersive in that sense and they do it again with Blackwood and they do it so artfully with Blackwood and I love the way that they tilt these characters not to be directly head-on with the on scene. I love that they like tilt them to be kind of diagonal or spinning off to the side. It mm -hmm. really gives a different feeling. It immerses you in like down the dark path. Slowly join me down the dark road because so much of it looks so deceptively normal. The inside of Sabrina's house is like kind of deceptively normal like the kitchen scenes. The high schools of Baxter High are like a little vintagey but also strikingly similar to what I understand most people experienced in high school. We will chat about me in high school settings another time. But yeah, that's one of my favorite things about this series, just the way that it's shot. Yeah, I wrote that down a couple of times about like the blurry edges, because when I when it first started, it was very disorienting. I couldn't really, it was kind of dizzying and I didn't, I, I was actually focused more on what they were blurring out. Because I was like, what don't they want us to see? Like, what are they trying to, like, hide? And then the more I watched it, the more I thought, and this is, like, a prediction I have, and I have to pay more close attention to it as we keep going through the series. Because I noticed that the, that blurry, like, camera effect that they had always happened when, like, she was edging closer to the witch side of herself. Mm. And I didn't know if that was like the blurry edges were almost like her peripheral vision of her mortal life. And it was like, you know, because there's this single path that she's supposed to be taking that she's expected to take every time she kind of plays more into that or leans more into the witch side of her life it's like that it becomes a more narrow line of vision because then she's going towards that path she's supposed to go on I love that that is such an interesting insight yes oh thank you yeah because I was I was I was very I noticed it almost always happened when she was doing something witchy it never happened when she was you know at the diner with her friends it never happened when she was at school talking to her like and anytime something witchy happened like when she was in school and she had to go to the principal's office and he was possessed that blurriness started to happen again because it's like hey I'm gonna force you to be in this path with me because you're trying to go into the blurry edges and we want you to stay in this straight and narrow path because it did, uh, it bothered me for a while. Like that whole time that I was doing that, it really bothered me. 
but I but then I started to realize the pattern. I was like, okay, I kind of get it. It still bothers me, and I kind of wish they hadn't done it. Just from a a person who watches the whole screen and takes in everything that I'm seeing, it was a little disorienting for me. But knowing that, like, kind of having that idea of the symbolism behind it makes it easier to watch it. It's so interesting for me that you have such a different experience with that because for you it's disorienting and strange and you were looking in the corners to see what's missing and for me it felt like I was stepping into the world. It literally just was like, ah, I am in the ye old town of Greendale witchering over here. Like, <laughs> Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, because it did have, like, that, like, blurry-edged feel. Like, that is something that, like, you know, is kind of known in cinema as, like, an old-timey thing where it's, like, you want to focus on that one thing. So I totally, to play devil's advocate, I totally understand your point of view. And to play devil's advocate on myself, listeners, this is a fun fact about me. I have minus one vision, which is not bad at all, but I like barely ever wear my contacts or glasses because of it. I can read and see most things just fine. And if I'm just like ambulating around regular life, it's, I just live in a, in a gentle impressionist painting. That's what I like to call it. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> so... For me, I guess you could also just make a strong argument that because I live in a gentle impressionistic painting, when the screen became a little blurry, I was like, oh, this feels like my usual life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, this matches my degree of vision on a day-to-day basis, friends. Do I have stigmatism? What's happening? Just, uh, I forget if it's nearsighted or farsighted, but just can't see at a distance a little bit. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, so I did want to chat with you a little bit about Salem, because when they introduce Salem, that's one of my absolute favorite scenes when she's like, who's there? And she's just had such a tense, hard time of it. And it's a protector. And he, like, hides behind this thing. In my mind, it played off as, like, he doesn't want to scare this gigantic goblin, as we've learned. And he goes, I heard you calling in the woods. And I came. And he turns into this tiny little kitten. I love that scene. I love it so much. I remember specifically going back when I first watched that show to look at what Salem was in his true form. He was like a, he was almost like a phantom. Like it was almost like a phantom ghoul that he was. And I thought that was so cool. I, like I said, I'm trying really hard not to compare it to the sitcoms because Salem and the sitcoms was very different. The whole <laughs> yeah. Concept, the whole concept of Salem and the sitcoms is that he was a warlock who was like a war criminal. <laughs> the whole, you know, high priest decided to punish him and turn him into a cat for the rest of it, like, for eternity as a punishment. Yeah, he was a megalomaniac, for sure, in, like, a cat's body. Yeah, and it was, like, the Spellman's, like, century to watch him or something like that. It was, like, every witch family had to, like, protect him or take care of him or something like that. Oh, well, I was about to ask, wasn't he a Spellman, but then I remembered he was Salem Saberhagen. Yeah, he was Saberhagen. So he wasn't 
part of the Spellman family. And I could be getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure the concept was that like every century, another witch family had to keep an eye on him to make sure he didn't start world damnation again. So it's who Salem was for her then, because he was a very powerful warlock and he did have a lot of knowledge and could help guide young witches. So that's why it was like families took care of him so he could kind of help train these young witches but also he could be kept an eye on so that he didn't do anything horrible see knowing that about that version of salem and then seeing this version of salem it was i thought it was hysterical but i do i like the idea of a familiar i was a big fan of the show charmed growing up and they had a familiar for like a couple of years so i know the concept of familiars and i've always liked that concept that there's like an animal guide that's just like helping them progress as a supernatural being. I always thought that was really cool. And I really loved how she decided that she wasn't going to seek out some, like she was going to let the familiar choose her. Mm -hmm. And I like the way that like, even when she's talking to Zelda, because I have a lot of opinions on the Zelda Hilda, uh, like you know uh dynamic because you know they're they're like true foils and I love that um but I liked like in that conversation where she was like calling him like a servant or something and Sabrina was like he doesn't serve me this is a partnership Mm -hmm. and I thought that was like a really beautiful way of looking at it where it's like you know he's here to help me I'm here to help him we're here to help each other and that's like a unified front so why Mm -hmm. would I take all the power and the control when we're in this together and I thought that was a really beautiful sentiment I like that that's a good point too and I like that you like this version of Salem because I know part of the reason why I ask because I know that you really loved Salem from the sitcom so I was very curious because I really love just that scene and that introduction so I was interested in your take but since we got here let's do it let's do Hilda and Zelda because let's I fucking love both of them so much okay Zelda just like so much they're amazing okay so Zelda and Hilda okay go so I have a lot I mean first off those actresses are phenomenal I first want to talk about the actress who plays Hilda because she has such a quick way of going from that lighthearted, you know, motherly nurturing thing and then suddenly dropping it and having this like dark, like, I don't like my life. I, you know, like not that she doesn't like her life, but like she was like, I have dreams of burning down that damn wood because of how much trouble it has caused my family. And like, she sees that I think, and I actually wrote down that Zelda is the witch side of Sabrina and Hilda is like the human side of Sabrina because Hilda embraces the human side of her. And it's like you said, that quote where Hilda is like, they would be so proud of the woman you would be. And Zelda was the one who was very much like, no, she's a witch. So I love the foil that they have between Zelda and Hilda because with Zelda you see the witch side that I'm going to blindly and loyally follow this because this is what our family has done for centuries and there and like you said like there's all that history and that family secrecy 
embedded into being part of this coven, essentially. Like, I don't really know what else to call it besides it's it's a coven. It is a coven. <laughs> it is a coven. You know, she has this, like, blind loyalty to the Dark Lord and to all of this stuff that she's just like, yeah, this is what our family does. Like, this is your a privilege that you have. You should be honored and you should want this. You should not want this. And Hilda can kind of see that side that I think Hilda always kind of wished she had where like you kind of notice, I mean, I don't know if it's going to progress as the show goes on, but from what I've seen, Hilda's only friend is her sister and her nephew. Like, (laughs) you know, like that's, and, and her niece, like those are her three friends and, or like you choose your friends, you don't choose your family. Like she literally had no choice in the people who she surrounded her life with. And she sees Sabrina who spent these first 16 years of her life making that choice and choosing to have these people in her life. She knows what it's like to not have that and want it. So, you know, she has that empathy towards Sabrina that I think Zelda doesn't have. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a big part of why Sabrina is the way that she is, why she feels like she can stand up for herself and why she feels like she can stand up for her choices is because she had these two role models who kind of gave her two totally different ways of looking at life and kind of prepared her this whole time to make a decision. You know, they gave her both perspectives in order to make this, this decision. And I'm not saying they did this on purpose, but like, they play devil's advocate for each other. I'm cute like that. (laughs) I want to know your perspective of Zelda and Hilda. I want to know what your opinions of them are, because you know a little bit more about what's going to become of them. So without giving any spoilers, like knowing what you know about them, what are your opinions of them now? Yeah, so I love both of these actresses and both of these women, and I love how they're poised together kind of at an excellent like starting point like you can tell that this has been a habitual relationship between the two of them okay let's call a spade a spade it's fucking abusive okay they're household partners ultimately and the two of them are household partners but zelda calls the shots and if you don't comply she literally will murder your ass and wait for you to come up (laughs) literally literally murder your ass i actually in my notes thank god she's alive (laughs) she was so upset when she was just like hey hilda pow and i was like is that the end of hilda seriously we just met her yes yeah yeah and i love how like terrible and grueling of a process is so like there's okay a lot of like emotional bullying physical abuse all of this stuff together but you also know that they're fucking teammates because did you notice those goddamn shared looks when sabrina brings up the father and like that kind of stuff yeah they're hiding something for shirzies i like love that they wordlessly back each other up they looked at each other at the end they were already had their whole thing laid out I think that they're also both equally strong, but Hilda doesn't believe in herself. So Zelda fully owns her power. Zelda's like, I know who I am as a person. I am a bad bitch. Look at me and my long ass cigarette and my tight ass dresses 
fucking burying you in the yard in that shit, like in my fancy ass getup. I love when she glances over, sees the mortals like pull up, sadly mourn their son, and she just, that's fine, I'm gonna keep digging this grave right here, you know? Like she owns herself as a person. Hilda, I think, is the opposite in that sense where she doesn't own herself as a person, but you know that she is powerful and scary because notice, she has a remedy for everything. She knows all the shit. She's like, oh, they put a curse on you? Well, let's make sure that that's actually gone. Break this egg. Take this bath. She knows all the little hedge witchy shit. She's a kitchen witch. She's a hedge witch. She'll ruin your life. You won't even know because you'll be like, thank you, ma'am, for this nice meal. And so I really love that. And I love that she does have these like switches and flips like coming from doing a little bit of armchair psych right now. That's like a clear coping mechanism. If you think about it, she must feed Zelda a whole bunch and she doesn't murder her. And there's, like, this power dynamic there where she tells her, like, I'm your older sister. It's my Satan-given right to kill you as many times as I want. And one day you won't rise at all. Yeah, oh my god. Talk about a fucking threat. Yeah, like, I do want to piggyback off of how you said it's, like, a coping mechanism. Because, like, when I was watching this and when I was seeing how... You know, she's really, like, Hilda really tries to be honest with Sabrina about her perspective of everything. But she does have a trauma response to being Zelda's sister. Because, it, like you said, it's an abusive relationship, and everyone's trauma response is different. With Hilda, it's that she uses that, like, she kind of took everything that her sister gave her with a grain of salt, but she's also making sure that Sabrina doesn't do that. Like she's kind of taking everything that she's taken and she's like, you know what? I didn't stand up for myself and I didn't give myself a choice. And I'm going to be honest with you, Sabrina. I wish I had. And you are about to do this. Even though everyone is telling you, you don't have a choice. You do have a choice prediction. I have two predictions One we'll talk about later because it has to do with something completely different. But one prediction I have is that Sabrina is going to make Hilda's dream come true and she's going to burn down that forest. That is my prediction. I think that Sabrina is going to take that because they wouldn't have told us that story for no reason. And I know there was that moment where like maybe the reason was so that, you know, Zelda had a reason to kill Hilda and we could see that they're actually immortal. But I think the deeper rooted reason, like the foreshadowing, is that eventually later in the season, I think Sabrina's going to burn down the woods. I like that. That's, I'm writing yeah. down all your predictions. Like, I don't know if you've noticed. I've been like writing them all down. Yeah. So I have another prediction about her parents, but we're going to get there once. We oh, we'll that. totally, totally get there. But yes. Okay. So I love this held as a little dynamic. I think you're totally right about the trauma response because how intimate and how personal of a story that is. And then how quickly does she shut it down? Good night, darling. Hope you have a good pup. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the other thing is notice that her rebellion is quiet. Like that to me is like a sign of like her lack of ego a little bit and her lack of ability to believe in her competency to overcome her 
abuser situation, like get out of there, etc. Because you're right, she does only have a limited number of friends. Like she has, and they're all her family. And unlike Ambrose, who I think we should also touch base on. Oh, we have to because I want to marry him. <laughs> I'm so in love with him. He's like exactly my type. And I'm like, oh my God, I love him. Part of me hopes he's bisexual, but like, oh my God, I love him. <laughs> he does. He gives me a little bit of a bisexual vibe. Okay. <laughs> and I think because I love the representation I've seen so far. So I'm like, mm-hmm. Ooh, I'm digging this. Yeah, I love Ambrose. Ambrose is my favorite character so far. Yeah, Ambrose is really phenomenal. To go back, though, to the... Where was I? Hilda of it all. Oh, yeah, the Hilda Zelda of it all. Yeah, so that that ego and, like, her shutting it down is a trauma response and her not believing in herself and staying in that situation, all of that. Anyway, let's hit up Ambrose. There was one point where it was in the second episode and it's where Harvey came to the house and showed Ambrose his drawings. And then Ambrose referenced three comic book graphic novelists, uh, authors. I know of two of them. I know who Alan Moore is and I know who Neil Gaiman is. I do not know much about Grant Morrison, but I have heard of him. And what I thought was really funny about that, uh, shout out was Alan Moore. The only thing I know Alan Moore from is Watchmen, which I don't know a lot about. I never read the comics. I never watched the show. I never saw the movie. But from what I've heard, he wrote the comics for Watchmen. Is Watchmen like evil? No, I was talking okay. about Watchmen recently. The last time I read it was in high school. And I actually read it as part of my English class in high school. Our English teacher was pretty cool. Basically, from what I remember, it's, it's like a alternate kind of situation on the Cold War. Yeah, because I don't know other things that Alan Moore has done. But I do know that Neil Gaiman wrote the book Good Omen. So they made the book a TV show. I never read the book, but I watched the show. And the show had David Tennant in it, and David Tennant is my favorite, one of my- Hold on, was he one of the doctors? The only reason I know that name is because I saw him live when I was living in London, and I saw him play King Henry. He was phenomenal. Oh my god, I remember when he did that. Oh my god, I'm obsessed with David Tennant. He was also in Harry Potter. He played David uh, Barty Crouch. Oh, 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 that was a fantastic performance. The same man, truly? (gasps) He was so commanding as King Henry. I love, I love everything David Tennant does. And he's my second favorite doctor in Doctor Who. My first is Matt Smith because, ugh. Okay, so no game. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. And Neil Gaiman has done a lot of stuff. Neil Gaiman's the same man. I've read some of his work. I have Good Omens. I started reading it. He's not my favorite author. I, I don't like his prose as much as my ex did, but I did appreciate his artwork. And I, I like the fact, like, I know that he can tell a good story. I don't like his prose, but he has a good plot. I very highly suggest watching the show Good Omens. Maybe that can be the next show we watch or another show that we watch. I think that'd be a good one because there's an angel and a demon. Yeah. 
the the aspect of them debating about how humanity has progressed it's really like it's really a fun dynamic to watch I never read the book but from what I have kind of known about these authors I think Alan Moore Neil Gaiman and Grant Morrison all in some way or form wrote some kind of content in their career about hell or heaven and I think that's why they were referred to in the show which i thought was kind of a cool like shout out this show makes some amazing literary nods like truly amazing literary nods and i think especially especially because this whole the whole concept of sabrina is based on an archie comic i think that has a lot to do with it too where they have the opportunity to shout out as much as they can about pop culture so i really appreciate that aspect of the show going back to ambrose i adore him i think he i really as of right now he is my favorite character and i hope that continues what do you think about his investigation into this person who passed on the the witch so the witch who died and how he suspects that the witch hunter killed him. So I, I'm i very curious about the entire aspect of Ambrose's character. I want to know. They stated very early on, and I want to find the note where I said it, where he's basically condemned to like a 75-year house arrest. So I really want to know, because especially because in this community of witches what we would assume as humans and as good people what we would assume an act that would condemn a person to house arrest is not necessarily an act that a witch would commit to condemn them to house arrest so I'm very curious as to what he did that was so horrible that he had to be punished. I love that you pick up on the duality of the morality of the worlds that they're showing, how they are specifically on purpose segregating the witch world and the um, mortal world, and how they're giving them different language, different moral rules, different conduct, different expectations, like all of this essentially things that are living side by side hidden in one another that's one of the things i really love about the world building and i love that you so inherently just picked up on that fact that there's like a dual morality so like what must he have done that was wrong in this society's eyes that he's on house arrest and i love that you're kind of thinking in that aspect rather than thinking of like oh what did he do wrong like did he like kill somebody there's like some reference to cannibalism yeah yes, i wrote that down. i literally wrote in in all capitals do they eat people <laughs> yeah um so i'm gonna just shatter the shit out of that yeah. one for you right now that is like a true reference to something that the witch community does do it gets explored in an interesting way so speaking of religion and correlates i think that one of the things that the show does essentially they created a religion this form 
as somebody who practices what some people consider like witchcraft or I like obviously as somebody who believes that energy and matter is God I believe in energies and that has more to do like with the energy flow of like the world like I believe in some astrology stuff some like herbalism stuff and to me all of that comes from the natural aspects of the world that's one version of witchcraft the version of witchcraft that they're talking about is a very in my eyes a christian version of witchcraft where they pray to the devil mm-hmm. and get powers from him in my eyes that's why i'm interpreting them as if they're making up a religion because i don't from what i understand satanism is a political movement religion similar to the flying spaghetti monster not that i i full respect to people with those beliefs may your yeah. churches do well as long as you harm no one and coerce no one i th- think that this opportunity that the producers took to build this religion of witchcraft based on kind of this hearsay so so fablery that part of like the christian world has in stigma and in return give it some truth to the stigma and turn it on its head so i i think that that's a very interesting dark mirror to kind of play with just the mortal world and like religion in general that the producers mm-hmm. and writers of the show put in there and i'm excited to like dive deep into where it takes us yeah and i i also really like the aspect of ambrose's character where he's clearly screwed up in some way where he has to be supervised but at the same time you can see that he has been a warlock for a very long time and he has a lot of knowledge and he has a lot of expertise where like when sabrina is questioning do i want to leave my mortal life he has flat out said to her and i wrote it down because i think because this is a very um big trope in a lot of movies and television shows where there is someone who is immortal, where the argument is, I understand that it's hard to leave these people who you love, but you are going to grow old at a different pace than they are. So you are literally going to watch the people you love die. And I, like I said, I'm a big fan of supernatural genre shows. So I've seen a lot of tropes where it's a person who just leaves whoever they have created a life with in order to prevent that pain from happening. I understand that aspect of it. And I feel like Ambrose has this really wonderful perspective where he clearly has screwed up and he clearly has made mistakes, but he can also show Sabrina how to live her life in a way that will make her happy because he is clearly, even though he seems happy, I feel like there is a huge sadness to him that we haven't explored yet. I like that you're picking up on his emotional state. I also really, when you said that he's like a wiser, older wizard and stuff like that, that made me flash back to what you were saying about Salem Saberhagen on the sitcom Sabrina. Mm-hmm. because it's interesting that they still included that character just through a different lens like via Ambrose because you're yeah. right she does she he goes my grimoire is your grimoire um which I thought was just yeah. such like a beautiful little tidbit I think you're right and I think that you're right he did do something that was wrong he is being punished there is like this underlying sadness to him like 
even just like in the offhand remarks he makes to Harvey when they're going to the party. If I'm going to risk being sent to the nether realm, it's not going to be for some high school masquerade. He's lived life and he's lost living life. He is wise, you know he is, because also when he comes out to the coven to make that threat, they all leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they trust when he's like, hey, I've cast a protection spell. And I'm not going to lie, when the pause that the high priest gave him, I and it's in the video that I filmed of me watching it where I was like, he's going to call your bluff. I knew he was bluffing. I knew there was no protection Oof. spell. And I was like, this dude's about to call your bluff. And then the second they all turned away, I was like, oh, Ambrose is fucking powerful. Yes, yes. Like, they're fucking scared yes, of him. Yes, that's what that move meant. That is exactly, yes. I yeah. love that you picked up on that power dynamic, too. So let me kind of just introduce what Devil and Advocate is. So for Devil and Advocate, we will say what we hated in the show and then why we think it happened and this could be anything so go for it okay so my Dublin advocate it's not necessarily something I hated because I genuinely like this about her character description I guess I should say but my Dublin advocate is all about Zelda's loyalty to the coven the reason I am against it is pretty much the obvious reason where she is not giving Sabrina a choice like Hilda seems to want to. And she is basically saying, no matter what you want, no matter what you are choosing, this is your family obligation. Our family is set to this type of way and you are going to do this no matter what. Whether you like it or not, you are a witch and you are going to fulfill this prophecy. I don't necessarily agree with that type of parenting because I think that a child should choose the way they want to live. However, to play devil's advocate, I think that Zelda grew up that way where she grew up with parents because she she's Sabrina's father's sister, mm -hmm. right? They both are. I think that Zelda and Hilda and Edward's family grew up in this coven and were kind of taught... You have to do this a certain way. You have to live your life a certain way. And you have to basically live your life to be a witch. Especially with Hilda's comment of us girls didn't have a choice back then. That, that gives all the context you need for that. Yes. That is a very common perspective of life that certain women have if they were raised a certain way. And it's very hard to push against that if you were raised a certain way. And some women do not have that perspective. What I think is interesting about you bringing this up is the women that tend to propagate this and continue this perspective are the ones that are very successful in these roles like Zelda. So Zelda, very ownership of power, very successful, very like... I work well within the system. I know what must be done. I am somebody that's achieved high status through the system and I love it and I am about it and like I own it. Because she was socialized in that way, she's very rigid and blames people that don't fit into that system for not doing as well, like Hilda. And I think that's why Hilda turns around and sees Sabrina's desire to also have a mortal life and supports it because she did not do well in that witchy system that maybe is a little bit more 
um, a little less sympathetic, a little bit more active in some ways, things we associate with as male traits. So I think that that's a very interesting point and an interesting dichotomy as to like also why they are that way. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And that's kind of where I was going with this was Zelda has seen success in this way of living and in this way of being. And, you know, she has followed the rules to a T. She has loyally followed the Dark Lord through whatever he has told her to do. And she has found success in it. Hilda, on the other hand, is, for lack of a better term, kind of a lackey. And kind of, you know, just kind of following Zelda along. So she is not necessarily living off of Zelda's success, but because I do think that Hilda is in her own way more powerful than Zelda, because I think she has more knowledge than Zelda, but she doesn't utilize it in order to be successful. She utilizes it to help people. Like, she doesn't utilize it in the tradition, in the way that success is thought of in the society. She uses it in her own way, but I do see what you're saying, that she's quote-unquote a lackey, and that Zelda's, like, a main character. There's no question about who's head of households and who makes decisions yes. in that house. And I think that that's really what you're getting at. And I think that that freedom of autonomy is the thing that... Zelda has achieved through this system that Hilda has not and not so much like strength which is I think what we're talking about in their ability to like do magic works etc I think more it's the decision to do what they want to with their lives I think Zelda is very much doing what she wants to with their lives but Hilda is very much not and that is the difference yeah I agree so, Michelle, after this, we, we really dove into some deep topics today, and I'm very impressed. But my real question that I want to ask you is, Michelle, what are you obsessed with this week? So, I think my princess and I might be adding somebody to our little fuzzy family. Stop. I volunteer at a cat shelter because I am not enough of a cat lady. I go in once a week and I clean out their cages and feed them and stuff. And there was this one tiny kitten who looks like a baby Blusha. Like is gray, has her eyes, and here's the other thing. They have the same fucking meows. So my cat is very vocal, very communicative, like we talk. Okay, this is a true story. The first Thanksgiving that I did not go home, I didn't have any plans. I just stayed in my apartment. I just couldn't afford to go back home. I don't let my mom pay for me. I'm my own problem. I um, stayed at home all week with her and I had no human interaction because everybody was home for Thanksgiving or whatever. And we just meowed to each other for four fucking days. And we have a whole language. Like we have sounds for when we walk into the room. Like you'll hear me go. That's like me kind of announcing myself and calling to her. Like we have like our own situation. And the best part was after this Thanksgiving, I would walk up to people and like try to meow at them where like I'd meow in class when I'd get frustrated because I got so used to doing it at home for like four days. I was like, meow. Oh my God. Okay. Have you ever heard of the comedian 
Uh, her name is Tig Notaro. Have you ever heard no. of her? So she's a cancer survivor, and she has, like, she has, I think, two Netflix specials, and the first one is also a documentary about, like, her experience through, tri- like, treatments yeah. for her cancer treatment. And she has this one joke where she says how, like, her cat was, like, meowing at her. So she started meowing back to her cat. And then her wife came in and went, you really shouldn't do that. You don't know what you're saying to her. It could be rude or inappropriate. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, yes. And anytime I hear anyone, like, meowing at their cat, I'm like, you don't know what you're saying to them. False bitch. I know exactly what I'm saying. We understand each other. So, this little kitten, this little gray, yellow-eyed doppelganger kitten speaks our meow language. I, like, I I lost it. I lost my shit for this tiny meow. Oh, you're so gonna adopt. I think it would be good. So, my ex and I found a kitten last year together when I had blue shot, and she was really good with him. He, like, made her more playful, and she was a mama cat-ish to him. She didn't, like, snuggle or anything, but he definitely would, like, watch her, and she'd, like, demonstrate stuff for him, and then he'd imitate her, and she, like, would play with him and, like, taught him cat behaviors, and she, like, pretended like she didn't like him, but I remember he once walked up to the edge of the balcony, and she got between him and that edge of the balcony meowed and hissed at him and was like no no you tiny thing you don't walk out there so I think it'll be good for her and she needs a friend because at 3am I'm not going to play go around the ball game with her so I think it'll be nice for us (laughs) to have a new friend in New Mexico where so our duo is going to hopefully will become a trio Oh my god. Oh, I'm so excited for you. That's what I'm obsessed with this week, this tiny, like, little kitten. Michelle, since we have been on for far too long, I need... Uh, yeah, this is officially the... (laughs) My drink was delicious. (laughs) I don't know if anyone noticed. It got me jittery AF. Oh, actually, probably nobody would notice because I'm gonna edit the crap out of this video. Fam, uh, (laughs) so you know, so we're 100% clear. This Skype call is six hours and 13 minutes long. We just have not been able to shut up for six hours, no. is essentially. That yeah, means. we've had some ups, we've had some downs. We've done it all. Yeah, so my drink was over a long time ago. It was delicious. It made me jittery because of the sugar caffeine situation. I think it also is partly what contributed to the fact that this is over six hours yeah i had a yeah full coffee at like 5 p.m yeah <laughs> um but i'm glad i got to share it with you how was your drink oh my god well i mean if this is anything because we've been on for six hours i drank the entire bottle that's normal okay that's fine you've had six like, hours real, like if there is not a drop left in this wine bottle because I drank the entire thing throughout the six hours that we were on. But it was delicious, and it's probably why at one point I probably got a little slurry, so I apologize. And you'll never know when because it'll be edited to high heaven. I need the fuck out. Yeah, like, 
drunk Katie will be in the footnotes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, with all of that said, seeing as our drinks are done, how shall we end our episode today? Well, I think we should first just make a note of letting everyone know that if you would like to DM us or email us with any comments, any questions, anything you want us to talk about, maybe if there's a show you want us to cover next, you can hit us up on Instagram at devil's advocate reviews or you can email us at devil's advocate reviews at gmail.com all very accurate lovely things thank you katie for managing all the social media michelle may edit but katie medias i believe so all right my lovelies we hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you next time until then devil may care baby Hi again, friends. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be taking a break next week since I'll be traveling, but we will pick back up on Halloween. Catch you then.